It's Jibs here from Pints of Malt. So our podcast is basically a group of Irish Nigerian lads who tell their stories growing up in Ireland as well as Nigeria. And we share our experiences with all of you all. We also add a bit of comedy as well, you know, to get y'all laughing, get y'all through the week in these tough times that we are in. So y'all sit back and just, you know, enjoy the show. As Jib said, we're the Pints of More podcast. You can find us on all streaming platforms, including the Hustle Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of FNI Rap Chat on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Uh, with thanks to our amazing sponsors, uh, Film Equipment Store, Wildcard Distribution, um, Octavid, uh, Screen Skills, and all those sound people who are helping out. How are you getting on, Sean T? Um, in the given circumstances, I'm not too bad, thanks, Paul. How are you? I'm great, yeah, 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 good, yeah, yeah. And we have a special actors edition today with lots of actors. It's like a three actors, uh, all you can eat actor. Put three actors into a room and listen to them complain. Here we go. <laughs> I'm only joking. Who have we got today? Uh, today is the multi-talented Ian Lloyd Anderson, actor who, uh, he's got an Irish Times Theatre Award for his role in The Beacon with Drew Theatre Company. And he also has this year got uh, a nomination for the IFTAs for his uh, role in the film version of Dublin Old School, which I will be very interested to talk to him about because he was in both the stage version of the play and the film version. And it's a very nice thing to sort of base some, I don't know, exploration of the different uh, demands that are on an actor in the two uh, domains mm-hmm. and how to adapt and obviously the changes in his physicality for the film as well yeah uh, Ian is a, is, is a great guy um, uh, who's been working consistently over the last 10-15 uh, years and is also going to be in Phil Lloyd's and Claire Dawn's her, herself which is coming out soon uh, which is a great piece of work a wonderful wonderful piece of work afternoon, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How's things? All good. All good. <laughs> I was really kind of like, you don't know where to look when people are talking. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. on you. Some winds over there. When you're sitting there, yeah, you're gone. We could have said more nice things as well, but we will hold back. Yeah, well, okay, yeah. I, I have a feeling you might have run out of road fairly quick there, to be honest. <laughs> we're, yeah, a lot of the time we're laying the track as, as the train's going along. Yeah. Um, what are you up to? How's the pandemic been to you and, and the kids and the family? And yeah, it's been kind of mad. We've had a new addition to the family, so um, all she knows is pandemic. Have, that's all she knows. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had a, another daughter, so we've three girls at home, and um, yeah, I mean, I like anyone. You're just kind of you know rattling through it and poking around in the dark and hoping that it ends. But um, no, I guess in a weird way, it's been kind of obviously it's shit when you know jobs are gone and opportunities are not there to keep working but also there's a sort of a takeaway from it where you kind of go that it is that's what it is it's work so um you know stepping away from it and going okay i've been able to be at home not having to go anywhere or you know piss off for a shoot or go abroad or go wherever you've got to go and uh mm-hmm. actually loads of time at home with the kids has been kind of nice to a point it must be nice that you can you're able to put them to bed 
Yeah, to, again, to an extent. It's, uh, like, you're reading a story, Daddy. Yeah, will you read another one? No, we, we had a deal. Do you get, do you get um, any acting feedback on your story reading at night? Well, no, I'm actually really disappointed because my <laughs> eldest daughter has this whole thing where, like, if I attempt to do any kind of a voice or an accent, I thought this would be great kind of preparation for anything. Even just going forward in my career, going, right, what am I really piss poor at? I can't do really do Welsh without sounding Jamaican. So... I'm going to drive this home now in a few stories and she doesn't <laughs> let me do accents like at all if I do it at all she does this whole that's not right and then the little one now she goes that's not right and they, they will not have me do it's not that they're going you're not doing a proper Welsh accent they're saying you're not doing the normal voice so they just won't have me do any accent they won't have it like the story has to stop like we know how the sausage is made daddy just get fucking on with it just get on with it and it's a killer <laughs> and it's a killer because I kind of you kind of think you've got these little people that kind of think you're great and uh, yeah, they don't. Uh, it kind of makes me think of you know you do loads of prep for an audition that's in some accent, doing loads and loads of prep on this particular accent, and you go and you do the audition, and then after one take or one run through the scene, the casting director director turns to you and goes, "Okay, let's try one in your own accent." Ah, you just know you know you're dead in the water. Oh no! And then I'm, and that's happened to me. And I'm kind of going, "What is my own accent? How do I speak?" Oh no! Well, you get that. You know, you get that sometimes. I had it recently on a thing, and I I, I had done a. I'd done a tape in, in, in a London accent and, uh, and they had come back and gone, will you do another tape? And I did. And then they came back and they said, well, will you do one now as well in your own accent? And all I'm thinking is, how are you fucking wasting my time? I, you're, now I know I'm not going to get it. You know, it's like, I saw, I saw recently people talking about uh, actors and stuff, this whole thing where people are talking about, you know, fuck accents, they don't matter. And I'm kind of going, well... They do, and it's grand for you to be saying it when you're from London, <laughs> and all the stuff that's getting made is getting made over there with London accents. And me coming along and my big paddy growl, I'm kind of going, well, no, accents matter. They do yeah. matter, and it's a scale in itself. Like this is the other part of it, but my do you, daughters don't think so. Do you use it an accent like as a way into a character? Uh, that's a good question. No, no, I don't think I do. Okay. No, oh, it's a funny one though too because. My wife will even say it. My mates always slag me for it. I don't know what my own accent is. Um, in real, like I, depending on who I'm speaking to, I can go from yeah, that's blatant, early man, and then I can be all of a sudden going yeah, no, it's absolutely great, man. You know, and I just don't know, <laughs> and it drifts, and I have this kind of weird um, blend of an accent. I get stick over it, but I don't think it's it's intentional. I don't know. We were, we were hoping that we were hoping to get to fucking imposter syndrome a little bit later on. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's, I think that's an actor's career is imposter syndrome it's just I find it's just a whole the long drawn out event of getting away with it, so. but, it but, but surely that's a talent that's that you know separated parents departed scenario where it's like you're you know you're changing your accent like a chameleon to fit into whatever circumstances you're in yeah. it's completely natural right? I think it is it's a thing of adapting isn't it it's yeah. like and genuinely like I know messing about it, and you can kind of sound wanky when you start talking about that but it is true you yeah. that's what you naturally do you know um I, I i think i think in terms of using an accent to get into a character it's kind of i think you're probably i think it's probably the wrong way to do it for yeah. me okay but it's certainly not the wrong way for anyone to do it i mean i think you know method is method but method's your own so i i don't think i would do it that way though i think what, it's a physical thing what about um how do you approach uh, different methods, different ways of working, Chekhov, Stanislavski. Is it a toolbox and you go, right, I did that, I studied that, it's there if I need it. 
Um, and I carry that bag with me all the time. I interpret each job as it comes up, or what way do you work? I, I, don't, I ignore all that Chekhov Stanislavski stuff because I can kind of turn around and tell people that I studied it, but I don't know that I did, that I did because the modules were short mm-hmm. um, and I didn't fucking understand them. <laughs> like, you know, and I've no shame in saying I didn't know what it was about and it never felt right for me because it always felt about, I think there's two things. There's, yeah, I think you have to feel it. I think you have to be kind of emotionally invested in it without without that costing you anything. It doesn't have to be like that. But you also, I never lose sight of the fact when I'm acting that I'm acting. I, I think anyone who's, it's kind of a shitty thing to say, but I don't believe someone who tells me that they were so in something that they didn't know they were themselves. I, I think then you're you're not you're talking about a different craft. I think the the the, the skill is to create the illusion that that that's what you're doing. But it, that's. That is nigh on impossible, you know. I mean, I know the people that there's amazing actors like Daniel Day Lewis and these kind of people who do these incredible kind of transformations and turn themselves into people. I remember hearing his Oscar <laughs> speech, you know, when he won for, um, I think it was when he won for the Abraham Lincoln film, and he was sort of saying he thanked his wife and he said she's she's lived with many strange men through the years, you know. Um, and I think you know, I think there's also a thing where. Uh, someone like him can probably afford to do things like that. You know, there's so many kind of variables to all of it, um, and it can be difficult. I look, I find it, I find it so hard, like nowadays, to try and invest in the work in the way that I used to be able to because I have fucking three kids. You know, and that's just the way it is. But you find your way, and you find your kind of. Um, your way through it. I think I'm still at a stage where I'm really kind of discovering uh, film and TV work, you know, and how to do it. I've only become confident in that in the last, I would say, two to three years, really. You know, I never was before. And because of that, I didn't enjoy it. Um, when you did get a bit over the years. Yeah, and the, yeah. I, you know, like little, th- I, because I didn't, not that I didn't back myself. Like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of ruthlessly confident in a very quiet way. Yes, I'm also always kind of going, you're the worst actor that's ever lived. And <laughs> I kind of like that. I wouldn't change it, but I think, yeah, I, it's a game where you've kind of got to, f- y- y- your confidence is so important, but like we were talking about at the start, so much of it is bluff. You don't want anyone to fucking know that you're, you're, you're it's the swan thing, isn't it? Your fucking legs are going crazy under the water, but you're calm as up yeah. top, you know? Mm-hmm. I think particularly on, on film sets, yeah. that's important because there is so much... Like there's so much activity around the set in the lead up to a take and then everything just kind of stops mm. and all of a sudden the focus is all on the actors who are performing and you kind of, I don't know, it's probably the same way that I kind of feel sometimes in auditions, you're kind of going there. You don't want someone to lose faith in you or you kind of want to project this kind of, I don't know, aura that you know what you're doing so that mm. they know, so they feel that you know what you're doing and there's kind of a, I don't know, a kind of a shared confidence in this kind of really delicate thing. Yeah, I think so. I think that's really true. But I think there's also what I've learned the most is probably, and and it, it only really can come from a prolonged time on set. The, people talk about, you know, the brilliance of um, actors who do these performances in films and they're on films for four weeks or they're on films for fucking four months. 
the hardest job any actor's ever going to do is walk onto set for a day or two days and be that small part. That's the fucking hardest job. Mm-hmm. You've got to slot into something and you've got to fit into something and be in the same kind of, tonally be in the same place as everyone else. No one gives a shit who you are. Nobody has time to get to know you. They really don't want to be having to direct you because you're a pain in the hole and you're a thorn in their side otherwise. And you've got to just slot in and do your job to the best of your ability. And I and well, I've seen it on sets and I've been on things where I've seen guys like that and I've been that guy where you come on and you're treated that way and it's really shit and I think when you see it done properly and the people who step on for something like that and when you feel it yourself when you do it I mean over the years I've fucking done that loads of times where I've gone on to do a couple of days on something and when you're and when you're the only way you get the best out of yourself or you get the best out of someone else is if they're comfortable and what mm. you know it's you see it all the time what I found really over the years is like through doing things in a prolonged for a prolonged period of time um like projects like say a series or whatever that's where you really learn how to stop giving a shit about what the guy holding the fucking boom thinks you because that's where I used to fall down and be going fuck me they all it's total bullshit it doesn't it's just the voice in your head because actually they're probably not even thinking about yeah. what you're doing in your terms of your performance they're they, making they sure they that they're staying out of the care. frame they don't care and yeah. they don't care and, it's, and the, in a weird way it's a bit like it's a bit like an audience that's watching it they don't fucking care how you get there mm. you know there's this whole thing <laughs> working with an Aussie actor Jordan Patrick Smith and he's a really good dude and he's fucking taking the piss out of me because I had to kind of my eyes had to well up in this scene one time and um, like just sort of on cue and I'm going right well I, I'm, there's nothing happening here I can't fucking just get there and just before they call camera he catches me sticking my fucking fingers in my eyes and he's going <laughs> what the fuck are you doing I was going I'm just it doesn't matter and he goes no no and he laughed because he knew what I was doing because he does it. it it doesn't fucking matter how you get there it's what they see do you know what I mean no I'm not saying that every time I've had to get upset and something I'm fucking poking my own eyes out but it's there's it's a fucking card trick. It's a card, exactly, Paul. That's <laughs> no, but that's that's. Do you know what? That's exactly it. It's a fucking card trick. Yeah. yeah. Excuse me, I'm cursing a lot. No, you can curse really away. Sorry. Um, I would ask. Um, you've been both of those guys. You've been the. Uh, I, for a start, I agree with you that being on set in brief stints like mm-hmm. that. It's 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 a breeding ground for anxiety mm. for a start. Now the great thing, as I'm sure you'll agree, with doing a play is that you don't have you're so occupied, preoccupied with so many different things when you're doing a show that you don't have time a lot of the time for that anxiety when you're on. Okay, I'll get in an hour beforehand. I'll relax a little bit. I'm on. I'm off. I'm gone. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of time to think on a set. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Do you practice mindfulness in between those things and? Or do you just learn your lines and focus on the kids or whatever else? Kind of depends. It kind of depends. It's funny. I um, if I know something is quite, if I feel like something is a big scene, um, I'll get, I'll kind of take myself out of the way, um, and just kind of not go into myself. And I, you know, it's funny as well because again, the same anxiety creeps in because you're going. I hope everyone on set doesn't think I'm an asshole. <laughs> you know, um, like me. Yeah, you know, it's just like you just don't know what to. Um, I guess you're constantly just constantly being feeling like you're being judged. I think no, I I think if it's a big scene that I feel is, um, you know, integral to the piece, if it's a crescendo moment or if it's a big sort of an emotional arc of a scene, I'll probably take myself away and um, just keep myself kind of occupied. And I think most good people on set recognise that and can leave you to it. You know, you'll obviously get a few wind-up merchants who are like old school and been in the business years laughing at you, and that's fine. 
because they can turn it on and off like taps and some people can't. So people have worked in different ways. You never want to be turning around going, here, listen, just leave me alone because you just, again, don't want to be an asshole. But uh, if that's what you have to do, then that's kind of what you have to do. But I wouldn't... Um, it kind of depends on the job. Like, I try to think back on some the last few jobs and, you know, it's like the last film I did, I just had a total laugh on. You know, it was like totally just messing all the time and like obviously getting my work done but like there was none of that because it was a kind of a comedy it was a bit of crack at a stupid haircut you know it's like it's fine okay I was going to say that doesn't sound like herself <laughs> no it wasn't that no no <laughs> but then like on something like that like I remember we were there was a this sort of kind of uh, the big sort of first 10 pages scene um, yeah like that I had to take time on that and take time to myself and allow Claire time to herself and no, didn't mean to say it like that herself. Um, but it, it, in it's, cinemas, I've told you. Yeah, Sally's in cinemas. And so, okay, a lot of people won't have seen that. I was lucky enough to catch that at the Dublin mm. Film Festival. Um, and it's a really powerful film. And it like your role in it in particular is a tricky one because you're not playing a nice guy. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the character and your take on that, on him and your approach to him? Because... Like, as I was watching it, and I kind of, I sort of felt, find myself sort of a little bit sort of, I don't know, taken from the side a little bit by a moment where I was watching, and I thought, okay, this guy is a real kind of nasty piece of work. But there was a moment where I just kind of saw a glimmer in your eyes where I thought, he uh, he's damaged as well. And I felt like a sympathy for for your character. Oh, the humanity. Yeah. Oh, like, God. But like there was, I kind of thought you know. I didn't mean any of that. He didn't like he's he's kind of he's doing it from a place of you know self preservation or whatever. Yeah. Like which is really interesting and it's like a lovely thing to put into a character that like that who is kind of the antagonist very much. And it, but like I think a film and the strength of a film is really based upon the strength of the antagonist. If your protagonist is really multi layered, but your antagonist is like a one dimensional baddie then the film just doesn't work as well. So like, if you, yeah. I'd love to hear your approach to that particular character. Well, the first thing I'd say is in terms of him being the antagonist in the film, um, it's, I'm, not actually, I'm not actually in the film a huge amount, you know. Um, so I think a lot of that credit goes to Philida Lloyd to be able to uh, carry the threat through the film at all times. He's, that's what really struck me when I saw it. I went, Jesus, you're not actually in it that much. But... She keeps this kind of amazing. Um, you can kind of feel his hand uh, hanging over the film all the time, which I think is kind of brilliant. That she's the threat there. Um, the other thing about it then would be, I I remember I was down at uh, the um, oh, what's the name of that subtitle festival in Kilkenny. Um, I was down one night. There was like the awards ceremony was on, and there was, you know, uh, Richard Cook had organised it. So he, a few was down there, and we were giving out the awards at the end. And uh, I was, it was late that night, and I was in Kilkenny, and or sorry, I was in this bar in Kilkenny, and I was having a pint with Mo Dumford, and I was chatting about it, and Mo said to me, "I hear you're doing that," and I said, "Yeah, yeah," and. Um, I, I said, did you read it? And, and he said, yeah, I had a read of it. Now, I don't know if he auditioned or anything like that. I don't know. He probably, most of his, he probably didn't. But I remember him saying to me, um, you'll do a great job on that um, because you'll find something in the character that's that's likable. And I hadn't really started doing a lot of thinking about the part yet. And I thought, right, that's, because you ha if you play a character like that, if you just play him evil, 
it's boring. Mm. Um, but you, but he is evil. He's a bad bastard. So I found this. Uh, I found this article on um, men with narcissistic personality disorder. I don't know how I found it. I wasn't even looking for it. Uh, and I read it and I went, oh, okay. And it just felt like the right hook. Um, so I really kind of explored that. And I remember actually it wasn't until like day one on set that I chatted to Philida about that, that I had this, that I had been thinking about this thing and I felt like it just fitted everything that I read. And it kind of went for it. And in someone like that, they, yes, they're extremely manipulative, but it's like they get to the point where they start to believe their own lies. It, it spins out of control. They're extremely controlling, and it's like it's a horrible fucking thing. But, uh, yeah, I, that, that was a weird hook for me, and I'd never really worked like that before. I kind of picked something like that, and that's what I'm going to go with. But it really um, it helped me, yeah. I, th- I thought it was... So you psychovaled, you psychovaluated your, your the character. Yeah, in a way. It, to break it down. In a way, you Find yeah. the humanity of it, because no one wakes up in the morning and goes, I'm Jesus, he doesn't I'm know. terrible evil. Yeah, and he doesn't know that he has that. No. Like, he doesn't know that he has a narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the thing I kind of was trying to remember through the whole thing. He doesn't know he has that. And, um, yeah, it just kind of was a real in. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> But it's the boss. Acting, yeah. Just no, you know, because at the end of the day, like, all that stuff just has to fall away when you're in the middle of a scene. You can't be going, I have this, because mm, yeah. you just see it on your face. And so, okay, that sort of brings me on to another thing. So, I like, I, what is your approach to, say, breaking down a script or analyzing scene and then, like, how much kind of prep work do you do in advance of a shoot and then how how do you kind of go about it on the day do you have a thinking? highlighter do you have like a little highlighter no so I actually <laughs> don't, actually don't have a highlighter I have uh, special highlighter I have those little strips you know the little um, like um, what are them little things called you stick them all over your wall you stick like any uh, on them post-it notes yeah I have like little tiny little post-its and I pay, and I colour pages and I colour coordinate things and like a kid who's delaying doing study. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but I do. I use a colour scheme for, right. for, for arcs. Angry. Like, yeah, I use it. Yeah, yeah, totally blue. <laughs> really down. No, I, use a, I just use a colour scheme for like um, arcs and I mark all the lines. So there's like, there'd be hundreds of them going in a script and I, I mark them. I actually don't. And yeah, it's weird. I've never talked to it that before. I don't really even know what it achieves. Kind of like this. Yeah, it is kind of like that. And there's loads of those sticking out. For the listener at home, we have uh, lots of colours around us it's here in the podcast studio. Yeah. Interior. Yeah, I've never colored really thought of it. It's a habit now. I just do that now. It's like, I'd be afraid to start or to stop if I, yeah. you know, that way. Mm-hmm. It's particularly helpful with like, um, I was filming a series last year and it jumped forward and back constantly. And it was really helpful there because you could actually, I had to do it with that because you just wouldn't know where you were in the script. Like you could be in the first part of the episode, you could be three weeks ago and then all of a sudden you're two days previous and uh, it was like, uh, it'd be a mess if I didn't. And so like, but say approaching a particular scene, would you kind of go, okay, this scene this is what the character wants and these are the sort of, like, would you action a scene? Would say these are the actions the character, like the way that you might break down and apply a particular action to a line or is it more a case of, okay, I know what the character wants, I know what they've just gone through prior to this scene and I'm just going to kind of riff it out with the other actor on the day and sort of see what happens. Like, are you more kind of a kind of preparation or instinct 
instinct, I think. But I'd also, I'd always prepare, but I'd be obviously, I think you always have to be willing to let that all go to an extent because also you've got another actor, two mm-hmm. actors, three actors in a scene with you. You've a director who, um, if they're good enough, their vision is strong enough. And I think if they, if, if you buy into that the way that you should because you sign up to do something, um, you should be willing to go with that, which is hard because you can have a lot of your own decisions made. I found that, and then different directors just, you know, it, sometimes it works, sometimes it takes time to work, you know, in terms of the relationship with you and them. Yeah. Um, I'd always be kind of open to riff, but I wouldn't, I don't action. I, I would be, I would tend to action a bit if I'm doing stage. Um, I just find because you've, there's, you, you speak for longer on stage. You speak for a longer period of time. So, so kind of action within a speech just yeah. to kind of give, give, give different, different colours and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and I think you have to, you have to colour things more in, in a sense on stage because um, there's not a tiny little lens that picks up little details and does yeah. a lot of that yeah. work no, for no Nuance gets lost a little bit. You're very much so. Yeah. And, and, you, and so I think, you know, I don't, like, I don't see it as a huge difference in the uh, style of acting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I do think there is a, as you say, nuance can get lost. And I think you have to be really mindful of that. But so I would probably, I would action a bit if I'm doing stage work. I, I, I wouldn't tend to do it on screen. But again, it's funny because I'm not aware that I don't do that on screen. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, so you need to have these chats. You go, yeah. oh yeah. So oh, that's what, oh, that's what I do. Yeah. Are you very much a kind of Anthony Hopkins school of motoring? Like learn the fucking lines and only then can you start playing with the other stuff? Like, how is line learning? Does it get easier? Yeah, it gets easier. And as I get older... How do you learn all them lines? Yeah, I know, it's How do you remember all that? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, as I get older, I think... I, I, I think that... Um, I just... Uh, what I do now is I actually... Uh, I record the lines. Um, I leave a gap. <laughs> I fucking say my ones. And then I and then I go for a drive for a couple hours. And uh, I just play it on a loop. Because I'm... And if I don't crash my car and I can get all the lines out. It's a success. In a weird way, I think you should, because you should be able to focus on doing something else while being, and then you can, because then you're not stuck in a rhythm. There's loads of things like that. You know, it's the, like that thing of a lot of theatre directors never want you to learn your lines before you come into rehearsals because you get stuck in a rhythm and you can't break it. And I've done that. Um, Slightly different with, um, with film because you have to be on the ball because time is money much more than, in theatre, you, like you can't come out and fuck about and not know your lines. Like that's criminal. You just can't do it, and it's it really is. I think it's 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 kind of the worst kind of fucking thing you can do because there's loads of guys queuing up to get a job and would never show up not knowing their lines. You don't see it very often. I've seen it, but it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. I think. You know. Have you ever blanked? You're completely lost. Yeah. Lost it. Yeah, I have, and and it's and 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 it's upset me loads like years ago now I'm like I find it easier I, but again I'm much more comfortable on a set and I'm much more comfortable of who I am as an actor now mm-hmm. so it doesn't you know I've had moments I remember I remember filming um, I remember filming doing an old school and being like I remember going home one of the days just fucking devastated about a scene devastated like um, and again you just have to trust the people who are fucking making it work at the end the lads were like you've nothing to worry about here and I was fucking devastated because I had done the wrong thing I had built a scene up in my head I had um, I had played it the way I wanted to play it in my head I had seen the way it would go and I had and that can, can be kind of dangerous because it's never going to live up to 
I remember we did a rehearsal of it, like a full rehearsal, and JJ just holding the camera. I don't know if he shot it, I think I shot half of it, and he, but we kept going, and I kind of got to the place I wanted to get to in the fucking rehearsal. But that's and it was gone. I that's authentic, it. though, right? Yeah. For you, anyway, at least yeah. in that moment. Yeah, completely. And I was like, I remember in my head going, wow, <laughs> that felt amazing. <laughs> and then I realised, I've emptied the tank, and I, will I get there again? And I did that thing, I went in my own head, and yeah, but it was a good lesson. It was a really good lesson in... Trust in the process. Trust in the process, but also just controlling yourself um, and realising that it's not, a, you know... They say that the difference is like three percent. You know, you get you know people coming off stage going, "I was much better last night." And you go, "Yeah, well, the audience don't fucking know the difference." You know, um, so I, yeah, it was a great lesson because I, I really was. I was <laughs> fucking devastated. I remember thinking, oh, "I've done all this fucking work and I've just fucked it." Like ridiculous. But yeah, I suppose like that's only I only shot that thing three years ago. But I, I feel like a much more um, mature human being now because. Work-wise and even just life-wise, you know, I'm still an idiot. Like, but you know, it's like, <laughs> how did you feel about that scene when you watched the film? Well, it's funny because it's a scene that a lot of people talk about from that film. There's a scene in the anyway. yeah. yeah, and I thought I'd emptied the tank on it, and I loved what we did. And I still look at it and I go, ah, it could have been. But then I, I've, I. I I guess I guess there would have been there's kind of flaws in it that kind of make it good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I just liked it my way. <laughs> <laughs> and then I suppose like no. there's that kind of challenge of having done it one way and actually being really happy with how the rehearsal went. You then got the you're in the position where like you can't actually try to do the exact same thing again because it won't be it won't be fresh. It won't be real. Mm. It'll be you know an echo of something. Yeah. So, like, that's a, I think that's something that's kind of even more important in film than, say, in theatre. I think because the audience aren't quite as close to you in theatre, that there is more, there, there's more of a chance of kind of going, okay, I, I know where I am in the scene, and kind of repeating it, and there can be little kind of new moments in different places every night, but generally the thing is, is, this, is kind of the same from night to night, mm -hmm. and in the audience takes it as a live thing which it is and it's great but in film and TV it's like it's such a danger of trying to replicate something because there's like there you can you can kind of tell that it's not real yeah I think but you when you're, can yeah because it's happened already so it's copycatting well, you yeah. just have to trust you just have to trust the judgement that they'll pick yeah the best one out of all yeah that's you're really gonna, hard <laughs> I know, it's really hard. Does it drive you mad watching stuff and kind of going and realizing that they've pieced together different takes into a scene? I, whenever I watch stuff I, that I've been in, I'm kind of going, I'm like, that was from a different take, and then that was from a different take, and that's from a different take again, or that's from the first take again. Do you notice? I definitely did. I, de I definitely did. I remember. I don't anymore so much because I, I, not that I don't care as much. I just kind of, I think, I think I'm much better at like packing it up at the end of the day and kind of going and forgetting it then until I see it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How's the Buddhism working out for you? Yeah, it's going good. It's going <laughs> fucking great, man. But you're, you're dead right. You have to decompartmentalize it, don't you? And say, right, I did my best. That's it. On today too. Yeah, on it can't three, be whatever. anything else. You can't change it from there. Like, um, it's just shit. But that's why there's preparation and, you know, doing the right things and looking after yourself or whatever. Like, you control the controllables. You know, that's all you can do.
how would you, um, we mentioned this in the intro, how would you compare the experience of doing Dublin, Dublin Old School on stage and doing it in the film version? Uh, it's it's so hard. Um, like, that stage show is, like, beyond good crack to do. <laughs> like, you get to just be a clown. Like, I, because I play everyone else in the film, in the stage show and it's like actually the stage show really shows off your range you get to do everything would you, would you like nobody will ever get a chance to do in a film unless you're Eddie no Murphy. completely it's just not going to happen you know it's like so I mean the stage show I mean I'm, it's really funny I'm really thankful to, 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 to Emma Kirwan he's like obviously he's one of my great mates but like you know that that, that whole Dublin Skill was like like it's kind of been a bit sort of um it's kind of defined me in terms of work for like a good few years um, but, and then when the film came out it kind of still did the same it gave me a kind of a launch pad to you know um, get some more work or certainly get uh, what you might consider sort of uh, better parts or a bit more featured roles and things um, so I'm quite thankful to it they're, they're very different I, I fucking adored doing the film the stage show was the, like was like a joy in my life. I, I I truly I truly truly loved it. Like I got to do everything, and then you get to come back to these moments of kind of um, realism in the sort of scenes with the brothers on the stage. And um, but the, the, to do the film then to be able to because it was the first time really that like I wasn't sort of um, you know supporting. I kind of had this part that was really kind of important and integral to something uh, on screen you know I've done leading man stuff on stage I've done all that and you listen it's great but this someone had kind of gone with a movie that had a few bob in it and had you know the elements behind it that someone went yeah we're gonna let you have a shot and I don't think that was as easy as it sounded like I, I think there was a good chance that I probably wasn't gonna be doing that part but um Rory Gilmartin came, I remember to see the show, and he was a producer on it, and he kind of was, you know, he was really cool. Rory's a great guy, and he, I remember him kind of basically saying, you'll be doing it. And uh, I was over the moon, because I think I really kind of thought, and I think Emmett even thought at one point, maybe it wouldn't be me. I, You know, putting a lot of money into a film, they're not going to, you know, go, oh, well, he did the stage show. Um and it's um, happened before it's happened loads yeah. of times yeah. I mean, look, disco, disco pigs, pigs yeah. loads, yeah. loads of examples of it yeah loads you see like and you, so, know, you, you could say even Rialto like you know that was Mark's play and that was that was with Philip Judge and I can't remember the young lad's name who did that amazing stage version of that in that B&B up on I can't remember where now when it was called Trade neither of them are in the film um, so it, that happens but uh, but doing the film was like and that's, sorry that's what I was getting to but to, to given the space then because the part was so important to kind of do the things and approach it the way that I wanted to approach it like work with um, Sarah J. French or Carl who was doing the costume and be able to like you know make it with her and have her trust me and have the lads trust the things I wanted to do physically and it was just like be given the space and to be like you know given the you fed the way I needed to be fed to feel this thing on set all the stupid shit like but stuff to, to feel that I was being looked after so that I could do the things that I wanted to do because I sat around for 10 years pissing and moaning that no one was giving me a part like that do you know what I mean so I wasn't going to 
I got a shot. Listen, it's not the fucking greatest performance in the world, but I'm very proud of it. Um, and and it, it it was I wanted to have a go and do it the way I wanted to do it, and say, and then I could look back and go, if it landed completely tits up, that you know that's on me and I can take that it's like that thing where you say you're agent I'm not expecting you to get me a job but put me in the room and if I fuck yeah, it up I yeah. fuck it up mm. you know I'm happy with that so if anything there was more pressure did you feel yeah. did you feel as if okay I know this inside out upside down we've done it fucking hundreds of times and then all of a sudden it's completely changing yeah, and then there's even more pressure because like I know I can do it but it's this different iteration of I that. couldn't do it that way I shot myself the first time we ever read it out loud I went oh, it's lost all the those scenes of just and the accent stuff gone. and stuff and you're questioning everything and yeah everything I just went because oh, you, you know because it's, it's not you couldn't you know obviously there's a everything was slightly cartooned on the stage you know because it, it just did the way the play was but this wasn't and yeah, I remember thinking, oh no, this is. But I, but I, but I was very. I think I was more determined than that than I've ever been in any of my work before. Maybe than maybe one or two other jobs where I felt that kind of determination to go. I'm gonna fucking drive this to where I want it to be. Mm-hmm. I didn't see where another opportunity like that was going to come for me. I thought I was going to be the fella who's still beside Peter Coonan for four years in fucking love hate and didn't really do that much. Got to smoke a few fags, got to throw a few digs. You got to learn an awful lot being on that set all the time, but not. But I thought maybe that, maybe that's just where it's at for me. And I didn't. I was kind of. I didn't really want it to be like that. I kind of thought I've got a little bit more to give here. But but you, you have to remember. So does every actor. Every, you know. So there's such a huge element of of luck with those things. Like if I had told Kerwin on that Friday of that first bit of rehearsal stuff we did to make that play when I told him to fuck off, I'm not doing it because there's rap at the start and I'm not a sap. <laughs> uh, if he hadn't rang me on the Friday and if my missus hadn't gone, shut up and do it. You're doing another job or you're getting paid anyway. You're able to do it because you have time. Just try and do it. And get out of yourself. And I went, all right, so I rang here. And I went, no, I will. Okay, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. So if I hadn't, I kind of wonder, you know, could have... Sliding doors moment. Yeah, completely, yeah. yeah. And, he's a gra- and obviously, yeah, Emmett's a great mate of mine and I trusted him. Of course I did. But like I said, there was rap at the start of it and I... Uh, like I listen to the Dubliners <laughs> you know it's like but I'm very I'm really glad it happened and I and I learned an awful lot doing Dublin Old School and I realised all the other things that I had learnt over the years while doing it and um, yeah very important moments for me I think and I'm really kind of happy that the film did quite well uh, and made some great mates and I, I loved it and the lads were amazing Dave Leahy and Mike Donnelly and Dave Tynan and yeah, it was just a joy. Like, and I was go, I would go out on set then some days when I wasn't working. Like, you know, just to watch. Yeah, I remember the lads around me. They were up in Wicklow doing the big rave scene, and I went oh, up, yeah. and we just sat up the back of the field, kind of. I was watching on, and we were just, you know, drinking coffee up until like three or four in the morning. I coffee, coffee yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was. I drove. So, <laughs> um, so um, yeah, and just smoking fags and watching the sunset. I remember I came around the corner, and um, one of my favourite lines from the play was this Dave the Rave character shouting, "The young people of Ireland wreck the fucking gaff." That was the line. And I came around the corner. I remember Dave Lee, he won the producers, and he ran down to me. And he said, "Come on, you got to get up here. You got to get up here. They're filming this. Come on, come on, come on." And we were running up this hill, and as we came around the corner, and the night it was the most beautiful evening you've ever seen. We came around the corner. And I just see my pal, who's a good mate of mine, we'd like toured America with a play before, Liam Heslin. He's hanging out of a tree, shouting that line. I just went, this is amazing. What a summer this has been. It's like, you know, so it was more than just the film. It was like Dreams loads of mates. Yeah, yeah, but loads of mates doing it together. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'd had a kind of a mad run of it going into that film. I'd had this like amazing 
sort of uh, I'd had my lost summer I'd just like I'd become a dad the year before and uh, I went over to London to do a play for like four months and I was like living on my own in London like the thing I never did but always kind of half wanted to do when I was a young flip and that was kind of gone off the table now because I had a family and whatever and um, just before that I'd done so this it was just this amazing kind of like six months of like amazing work and like loads of crack and loads of sunshine <laughs> I think if that's what I see you know sunshine and I look back on it like God, I sound like a wanker there. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really true. It was, yeah. it was a when I cast my mind yeah. back I to that like summer of 1930. But it really was one of those kind of kill moments. Car private. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to say, let's go. I just want to go right back to the start uh, mm. and just kind of talk about the for earliest kind of memories of uh, performance or film in your life and. Like, apart from playing for Liverpool, you're a Liverpool sport, right? Yeah, yeah, that would have been, I just wasn't good enough. Um, what, when did it kind of force impact you or penetrate your psyche? Like, like was there a kind of seminal moment where so, so, something clicked? I don't, I, I don't really know. I think I've probably answered this question, like, differently before. Um, I don't really know. I think I did, like drama skill classes when I was a kid when you call it drama skills it was Bernie Delaney School of Speech and Drama in Baldoyle um, and I did do that when I was a kid and I kind of think I was just a show off like a little show off kid and I think maybe that sort of stayed with me and then I did a play when I was in school I didn't really want to do it but I had this brilliant kind of this brilliant music teacher in school I did music and she kind of said look oh, we're doing this musical and I really want you to do this part and Fiddler on the Roof I was like, oh, no way. You know, I'm fucking 16. I've got a girlfriend. I smoke fags in the lane. I don't do skill <laughs> musicals. And uh, anyway, I, anyway, she persuaded me to do it. And I kind of, while getting loads of stick off the lads, secretly like thought this is brilliant. I love this. And again, I think it was probably the fact that I was able to kind of show off on, now on a mega level with a room full of people who had to stay quiet. I respect um, you, man. You're macho and yet you're also sensitive. Yeah, yeah, but don't tell anyone I said that. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> it's totally that. Like that's So I so I did that and then I, I think that kind of planted a bit of a seed in me and then, yeah, I got to six year and went, right, I'm going to take my foot off the gas here in terms of leaving certain, just go for it. And I... Um, Audition for Trinity and didn't get in. And then I told my folks that I'd been accepted to the Gaiety and I hadn't. And then thankfully during the summer a letter came and I did get in. And uh, yeah, it's a manifestation and, for you. I know, thank God. Like my would hit the roof. <laughs> but um yeah, it was uh Yeah, I don't really know if there was a seminal moment. I mean I, no, I think I caught up with what I wanted to be as opposed to seeing it and wanting to uh, and knowing what I wanted, do you know what I mean? I think I like I, for the first year and a half of drama school, I was like, you know what the fuck was going on? I was, you know, why are you telling me to lie on the floor? And what are you like? I just didn't. It just all went over my head, and I didn't respect it enough. I think, but in a weird way, maybe that stuck to me because I, like I say, I kind of grew with it then. Do you know what I mean? Like I learned how to respect it and what to what I love about it. Now it's like it didn't define me, but it's certainly a big part of. Of course, it's a big part. It's what I, it's my fucking job. Like, that's the other thing. It changes then at some point where it goes from being a hobby to actually being a job. And I don't look at it as a hobby anymore. It's like, it's my job. I have to do it now. Mm-hmm. Where where do you think your respect for the aura and the history of the Abbey came from? 
because you've said in other interviews like that that's something that you know you were really aiming for yeah. but like you also think you said you weren't really brought to the theatre or you didn't go to the theatre as a kid no. so so it's an interesting kind of was it something that uh, you developed during drama school or after afterwards I think sort of towards the end like I said like first year and a half I didn't get it really I think it's weird. I can't explain it, but I, did. I just don't think I got what the fuck was going on. I didn't know who writers were. I, but also, like you were very young if you went straight in from school, right? Yeah, I was probably eight, eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, but then, yeah, I don't know the Abbey thing. I just I saw shows there, like, yeah, and again, like because we had to go on a Monday. <laughs> um, but I saw shows there that I just, I, it just, it got in on me that place. I just, I loved it. I, I just loved it, and, and I think going through drama school at that time it wasn't like it's not like now where they're coming out and they're like they just want to go across the water because they all want to be on TV it's like um, it was kind of a mecca and there was amazing actors doing stuff there and I always remember like seeing things like I remember seeing Aidan Kelly doing Doubt and um, thinking fucking hell this is unbelievable. and I saw a lot of a lot of brilliant plays there and I remember thinking oh, that's where I want to get to and I just and then as I got older then I got so into the place I just sort of would I would read about it and I love like I love nothing more than looking down a cast list if I'm doing a show anywhere really but particularly in there and you know if there's like a Johnny Kavanagh or a Johnny Olihan or a fucking I don't know anyone of that era that ilk um, and I just asked them to tell me stories I just love it I, <laughs> something about the place like this I think there's a history to it I don't think any of us would be I don't think the industry would be where it was if it, the place wasn't there um, and it's it's integral to uh, our society I mean and to, to thankfully I've been on that stage like I don't know I, I think I've probably done 15 or 16 productions in there over the years and um I don't know. I I love it. I just think it's a really special place. I I haven't worked there now for probably four years, maybe maybe more. Um, but would you yeah, say that say. like that was possibly say the second stage of your training, having left the gate? Oh God, yeah. Like I think you mentioned in another interview that you were there were maybe there was two years sometime after you left drama school where you were kind of in the Abbey non-stop yeah there was there was a point there yeah it was a good few years after I'd left I think I, I got, got a nice couple of jobs there really like tiny little parts where but they were like that amazing I don't know it feels like it was the tail end of that because you've, only because I think about my own career selfishly <laughs> but where you could go and sort of learn your craft that way you know um, in a safe way and you wouldn't be exposed but you were like a, tri a, a tribe or a community, that kind of Abbey players. Yeah, it was vibe. amazing. And there was huge cast then as well. Like back, there was like, when my first job, there was a cast of 25 uh, doing the resistible rise of Arturo Uwe. It was still like Tom and Lawler played Arturo Uwe and he was just incredible. Um, um, and uh, yeah, you, you just were there and you were young and you were having the crack and there was all that, but there was, you, you, you could learn it. And yeah, and then I had this patch in there where I was in there for like, yeah, like 18 months, two years, just back-to-back -back shows now you know probably have a month or here there doing something else it was just one of those lovely little streaks are all fell into place but I, I, that's that developed me more than anything as an actor um like a 10-year purple patch <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah well i wish <laughs> it wasn't quite that long, that long but it was really um it was really it was special yeah it was it really was how do you uh how do you deal with nose as in um, N.O.s, how do you deal with uh, rejection? Because you're, you're actually, not you, your, your introduction to the business 
auditioning for Trinity and not getting in was a pretty good example More of it. This not. is what the business is. Mm. Yeah, I guess it was, yeah. I'm, I get better at it and I get worse at it. It depends. It depends on, you know, like I said to you a few minutes ago that like it's, it's gone beyond the point of it being ever being a hobby. It's a job. So um, sometimes the no's are harder because I guess 80% of the work, unfortunately, we're not all in a position where we can pick and choose all the time what we want to do. I'm lucky that I'm in a spot where I can say no to things sometimes. Um, but I think you've kind of, you, you know, it's, it's, I've lost my train of thought. I'm really sorry. What the fuck was I saying? Oh, the no. Yeah, bro, I think it's that thing of so many of that's what I was going to say. So much of this stuff, so much of your work, I think probably 70%, maybe even 80% of your work is work. And there's that smaller percentage, like, that really matters. So when you feel like there's one of those coming down the track, when you lose out on one of them, they yeah, no, them knows hurt. Mm -hmm. But they should, like they should, because that means you give a shit about it. Loads of knows you kind of go, grand, mm -hmm. you know, would have been handy, but grand. I find it's always if the work is good. It's never like, fuck, that would have been a payday. It's never that. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm in it to make a few bob. I don't mind saying that. I don't, you know, I'm not in it. I don't want to be an actor to just fucking scrape it. I, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I want to do it by doing really good work. But but those no's never hurt if it's like, oh, there was a few bob in that. It's always, fuck, that was a great job. Yeah, yeah. Genuinely, yeah. Mm. What, have you any advice that you'd give to yourself starting out? Or to a young actor start, starting out? Well, same, to, same, yeah, same to a young actor would be different, yeah. I think if I was myself, I'd be like, fucking stop eating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, wasted, I wasted a lot of time just not being the happier, comfortable where I was as a, like in my terms, my body. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that's what I'm Stop about. fucking eating. Not genuinely, I would like. <laughs> I actually remember Carl Shale said that to me years ago. Stop eating them fucking sausage rolls, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, stop eating them Cornish pasties, yeah. Um, but I, that would be what I'd say to myself. I think if I was saying to a young actor, um, just fucking go for it. Like, just back yourself. Don't be afraid of it. But also, you know, carefully you listen to, I guess. Because, you know, there's a lot of people out there will tell you. Because if you're not careful, you'll hear a prick like me on a podcast saying, be careful who you listen to. And you'll take that advice. <laughs> Beware of false prophets kind of thing. Well, I think so. I think there's loads of that, isn't it? There's loads of people trying to catch you with that stuff in the early doors and... You fall for it because it, there's a without I think ever intending it. There's probably a mild sort of vanity that comes with a job like this. So, like I know myself, I've seen like fucking someone who I never heard of with twenty five followers on Twitter go, "You know, Anderson is amazing in that." And I'm going, "Fucking Joan knows what she's talking about." <laughs> you know, and it's do you have to be? It's you know you can pick and choose and. I used to do that long to, for a long time, you know, when I got told no on something. I always remember my outfit go, oh, you, what happened with that job? Did you get it? I go, no. Uh, they were looking for someone who was four foot taller than me. But if they said if uh, I was four foot taller, it would have been me. It's bollocks. It, but you're, you're padding, padding it out all the time, you know. I've stopped you. That's probably the best advice. I've stopped justifying my career choices to people who don't matter. Because I, I, I did that for a long time. Tried to... Like mates, mass going. How's your work? 
really good. I actually have a lot of things there in the pipeline. And then I went, no, I, now I just go, I'm not doing anything. Because I don't care. It's not, it's not about anyone else. So, so that, it's, it's that. You have to kind of take control of the choice you've made. Yeah. As to, 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 to do it as a profession and, and that's a good kind of mindset as well to have for auditions and things like you kind of have to sort of go into an audition or whatever and just kind of do a job that you're happy with and then leave it and not base your happiness on how it's received by the people who are making the decision you can't control because, that because like you'll actually you'll just go insane you're also not entitled to the work that's kind of you know, I think for a long time I used to feel really hard done by, like if I didn't get something, like it wasn't my fault. That's bollocks. Like I'm not entitled to it. So it's you let someone make their decision, and if they, you know, I'm probably still guilty of it sometimes, where I fucking try and impress people, um, in the hope that they'll go, oh, yeah. But I catch myself in the act if I do that. Like I oh, don't do that. But it's it's just human nature. It's not like there's a difference between. You know, a lick arse and someone who's just maybe trying a little bit hard at the wrong time, mm. which I don't. I'm not. That's not me. But I do know there's been times where I've gone, "The fuck are you doing? Trying to impress this human being for you? Don't even like them." Mm. Um, so it's a kindness, an act of kindness to yourself. I think you, okay, yeah, I think probably I probably gain more with perspective time. on it with time and with having kids and stuff like that. And just kind of going. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know. It's really hard to explain it because you can ch- you, everything changes from day to day in this stupid fucking job. Like, yeah. you know, your opinions on things, your opinions on people's work changes better on depending on whether or not they give you a job. Uh, Have you uh, any hard. any designs to create your own work? Maybe dabble in other things. Yeah, direct. Actually, it's funny. Um, yeah, I think I would like to direct actually, but I'm actually uh, in the process of in the early stages of writing a screenplay. Um, which I never thought I would do. And I'm probably never ever going to show it to anyone. <laughs> uh, but I kind of set myself a target. And it's moving now. I set myself a target a long time ago, but it's kind of starting to move now. I'm starting to do it, which is kind of cool. And it's just as a side thing. It's not, I don't think, I, I have no intention of ever letting anyone read it or ever letting anyone see it or ever getting it made um, but I'm doing it because I want to do you know who else said that Claire Dunn well I know I mean, yeah did she mm-hmm. there you go um, she, 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 it worked alright for Claire we'll see in Sundance so yeah 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 <laughs> totally yeah yeah I don't know if it'll do as well as hers but she I mean you know what she she's fun. I was it's like Claire's great and I actually texted her last week I was kind of congratulating her about you know everything that's gone on and I was laughing because I was saying you know because I can't be our sending a text I was doing one of those voice notes and I was saying you created a monster you know every fucker now is going to be writing a script and trying to be their own vehicle not they weren't before but like it's really going to kick on but fair play to her I mean it's what a what an act of fucking perseverance mm-hmm. you know she's, she's something else and she is stunning in that film before you um, went on to do herself had you seen Mamma Mia Oh, but I've seen the Iron Lady. Oh, okay, okay. And I'm, you know, because I just imagine, like, I can imagine someone going, "Oh, I've got a great job." And the director, some called Philip Lloyd, I'm just gonna look up some of their other work and watching Mamma Mia and going, "What the hell?" I know. I up for? Yeah, it's totally because like totally different genres. Yeah, oh my god, it couldn't be sense. more different. Yeah, but I, but of course, I mean, I'm, I guess again, like, 
coming from that theater background, I was very aware of who Phila Lloyd was, and and because that's what she was, like, and is is a theater director. So, um, but the Mamma Mia thing blew my socks off. Yeah, I was like, what? This doesn't make any sense. And she's like. You know, you sometimes work with a director you've never worked with before and you kind of go, where the fuck have you been all my life? Like, she's incredible. She was amazing. She was really, like, just this really incredible woman. You've, like, I, she just makes you feel like you're the greatest actor that's ever walked the fucking planet. It's mad. And did you find a difference then, like, working in the scenes, in the kind of machinations of it, that she was more focused on the acting and kind of... Yeah. Like I know every director is different when it comes to TV. Some of them more interested in the technical. But she's not just about the aesthetic. I think she there was a brilliant DOP on that film, Tom Comerford, and um, you know, of course, Phil would cared about the aesthetic. Of course, I'm not saying that, but she she just had this trust in everyone, and she was just brilliant. Like she just she gave a shit about what you thought about the scene, and um, she had time. She had time, yeah, but she and, and still had the time to. You know, because it was about, you know, that's the other thing, you know, you got to remember on a film like that, it's not your fucking film, it's like, it was Claire's vehicle. It sounds like uh, herself was very formative and um, an experience that uh, was obviously about, it was Claire's vision and everybody kind of wrapping themselves around that in order mm. to facilitate that in a very positive way, that kind of tribal or community-based uh, community kind of let's raise this child as best as we can and send it out into the world. Um, and Philip being that uh, mentor figure, how important are mentor figures or have mentor figures been to you in your career? Oh, um, yeah, I guess, I guess very. Like, an, um, I suppose you don't know who or what a mentor is. Like, they take different kind of guises, I suppose. Like, and it can come at a different point. Like, you can there's a lot. It's different when you've got someone who, you know, it's different when you've got an actor who you think is really great, and you're coming out of drama school, and they go, "You're very good in your in your gaiety school showcase. I'd love to work with you someday." And you think, right, that's my mentor, or uh, you know, a producer who goes, "I really, really, really like what you're doing," and let's have a look at this and sort of putting an arm around you and going, we've got this idea and we'd like to make this. You know, that's, again, that's a different type of mentor. So, and then you've just got people who you just look up to, like actors that you just think are amazing. And I kind of have a couple of actors in particular, like, you know, but it changes, you know, like, my kind of constants are like, I think Gary Lydon is a genius. I think he's probably one of our least, our most um, underrated. Yeah, certainly under-celebrated. Uh, I think Gary Lloyd, and I've said it last time, I think he's fucking phenomenal. Really, really phenomenal actor. Um, I think someone like Declan Conlon is a, again. Mm. Because because guys like that, it was like, you know, Gary does a lot of film, TV and stuff, but, but Declan doesn't. And like That show you did together in The Peacock was incredible. Yeah, I mean, he's just an amazing, amazing actor, a brilliant mind and fucking brilliant on screen as well. Mm-hmm. This funny thing, I think, you know, it's different, but it's different in Ireland, you know, it's not like in the UK, you you can go from giving an amazing performance on stage and that can be a vehicle for you to switch genres. Uh, it doesn't really work like that. Do you that think there's here. a bit of a gap? I think there's a huge gap, yeah. yeah. I do think there's a huge gap. I think there's a massive gap because 
There's incredible actors doing incredible things on stages every fucking night. And obviously not at the moment. But um, you just don't see them on screen. Yeah, and why yeah. is that? Yeah, I don't know. Because like from listening to casting directors, like casting directors do go, do you, go and you, see plays. Like, I don't see... I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how the fuck it works. I don't understand it. But you can't tell me that there's a reason that, say... Uh, Marty Ray is not on screen more. Now, I know Marty probably has a lot of things he wouldn't want to do. And theatre perhaps suits him better, and I don't know what he's like on screen. But he's a fucking incredible actor. So why am I not seeing him fucking leading things? Yeah. Um, Because if you want to talk pound-for-pound ability as an actor, well, he's a heavyweight. Do you know what I mean? And even someone like Aaron Monaghan, who, like, you know, of course, he was a lead in Redemption of a Rogue this year. That uh, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron has more screen work than you think, though. He tips away doing things like, he, you know, like, but it's true. It's like, well, we have this incredible fucking well. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the thing is. I think it's changing a bit now. Like, and I know, like, because casting actors go, like, Maureen Hughes goes, Louise Kiley goes all the time. So I don't know, is it like the director, more directors not go? But then I, a lot of my director friends, like uh, Dave Tynan, Mo Sweeney, guys like that, they, they fucking go to theatre all the time, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, really. But then maybe it is changing, you know? Uh, like, I know I know that Paulie Mescal was doing, uh, asking for it when he got cast in um, The Normal People. Like, I know that that's, he was flat out doing that at the time. So, I mean... It, 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 perhaps it's is that like a do you know what maybe it's not as apparent as it seems but it does seem that way mm-hmm. yeah. how can you be so like, good what, what is, where is this imaginary line and why does it exist I, don't I, know. I wonder if it's more of a case of the fact that like some people somehow manage to kind of straddle both and, and, and make the leap mm. and then a lot of people find themselves like once they're they've done a role or two in film and TV, they kind of get recast and like like they're very good and they kind of basically people sort of imagine them when they're either reading scripts or writing scripts. This is a kind of a, of course a, 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 this this type of actor type character That's been the way who then gets cast forever. again. Yeah. So so actually, it's not that it's like there's almost there almost isn't space for the other actors to come in and make the leap because I do the same actors are getting used again. Yeah, again. I do I do think the two... I, one thing I do think, I do think the two businesses are uh, are separate and, and they don't get each other. And I think that's a shame because I think if they were sort of... Uh, if they understood each other a bit more as fucking things, it would work better. Like, the Which way, is a shame because they're actually... I think they're very dependent on each other. Of course like, they I are. I think the they fact that each the, other. the Irish theatre industry is currently suffering more than the film business, for example, maybe, mm-hmm. is going to impact the film and TV business because Eventually. there'll be people who like who will have had to, you know, turn their back on acting because they can't, because theatre shows can't actually happen. Of course. Which then means that there will be fewer actors available for film and TV stuff. Look at Phil Lloyd. She said she was a theatre director. Then they let her direct the film on Mamma Me and it made 600 million quid. <laughs> you know, there's a well there. Certainly, it's going to be, there's got to be the same here. Um, I think they just kind of miss they, they don't really get each other like it's funny I, I, I remember <laughs> I remember fi- finishing um, I remember my last day on Blood I was going down to Galway the next day to start rehearsals for uh, The Beacon and I was telling them about it uh, in work um, and it was a couple of the, the girls on the makeup truck were like what are you doing that for I said well 
job. Like, ah, you yeah, like, just going down there. That's it. They think it's a, like it's like they think it's a hobby. So there's a kind of a weird thing where it's like you do theatre for free, but you get paid for film and TV, and you're going, hang on, I don't know who who is coming in here that's surviving solely off film and TV all year because it's it's not a lot. There's not loads of people do that. Yeah. So. It's funny, I think they just kind of missed the boat on each other. Like that, there's always that thing, like if there's an availability thing, it's like, well... You, it's only a play. Yeah, or, or, or it goes vice versa. Like yeah. you get the, the theatre actors who are going, what, it's a day. No, you can't go for a day. And I'm going, but that day's going to pay me more than you pay me in a week. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's that, they, they just kind of, are, they don't hear each other. Yeah, there needs to be a symposium or something. I think it would be, <laughs> but I do think it'd be great if they were just a little bit more... Even in terms of strength, even in terms of unions and all those kind of things, I think the whole business ends up stronger. But they just feel very separate, I, I, and I kind of know because I do both, you know. Um, and I'm lucky, like so does lots of people. But I, like, I feel like I've kind of I've seen it on both sides, and I, I just don't, I just think they're very disconnected. It's a shame. How did you feel coming on to Blood Series Two? Was it like jumping onto a moving train, series one? No, it was grand. I, I loved it. I really, I loved doing it. It was a bad ball. Like it was like it was with like Granny Keenan, who was a, I hadn't worked her for years, but I I did like I worked her before. She was kind of Eddie Dunbar as a mate, like so that was like super comfy because it was like just going on with a mate, and he's a bollocks, and we just had a lot of crack. <laughs> um, I like that was. I loved it and, and brilliant directors again like Mo Sweeney's fucking fantastic director and, and Laura Way and Laura Way's yeah. great and it's really mad. Laura, Laura's fucking brilliant like you know it's funny I'd gotten so comfortable with Mo on the first block and then Laura came in and Laura I, you know, I probably think Laura probably thinks I'm a bit difficult because she fucking would like she would challenge me on shit and I'd like challenge back but she actually drew really good stuff like really good stuff out of me like that I didn't think was there um, and I loved working with her she's fucking she was great like I loved working with Ma as well but it was so different like you yeah. know um, and that, like, and that, that was hard be... in the middle of a thing because you find a rhythm it's really hard especially if you're coming in second block uh, and uh, but Laura was really brilliant and really kind of like like well able for for, for <laughs> well no, able for no, you no, no well yeah but well able for me to be like I mean, no way Ted was going to do it that way and she was like well I want you to try it that way <laughs> you know and I go mm -hmm. oh okay but you want that right you want that yeah that, uh, even know. when you're but you're the only reason you get uh, like I wasn't shitty about it but I'd be like I was afraid of it because I thought oh, I have all this mapped out I have all well, you can't just I have all this mapped she was brilliant that just kind of gone yeah so do I chief <laughs> And, um, <laughs> and she was great. I loved working with her. And I, yeah, I was, blood was fucking brilliant. Some of the writing working with it was so good. Like the, yeah, uh, Sophie's great. Two scenes, like, and I'm without giving too much away, but it's kind of a funny thing because it kind of jumps forward and back. Uh, but there are two scenes in the first episode that really stand out. There's a scene where it's like you and the horse and it's just you and the horse. Yeah, you got that amazing shot where the horse put his head down. Yeah, so you're sitting on the ground, yeah. so you have this moment where you're going to go head to head with the horse and you start to crack and we're going to go, oh, what, the, what the hell is he hiding? That shot was amazing. And then you kind of crumple down to the ground and you've got your back against the door to the horse box or horse stall, whatever it is. That creep and the horse coming in. Yeah, and the yeah. horse sticks his head over and it's almost like the horse realises you're upset well, and he's he trying did. to get down to comfort you. That's apparently what, what, what happened, yeah, because I was afraid of horses. And like this fucking thing was like this thing was like a serious thoroughbred. This yoke, this horse called Sharif. So they'd gotten me to kind of spend a bit of time with the horse so that it wasn't like freaking out. 
and I was bricking it. <laughs> By the end, I was walking in throwing saddle, throwing his saddle on and taking his harness off and all this shit. I loved that horse. He was amazing. And when I started crying like that, yeah, and I felt his head come down and I knew Richie Kendrick, the DOP, was to my right. He was get, And I knew he was getting a shot that was going to look cool because they had this sort of shard of light coming in that barn door. And um, I remember when the horse came down, I remember thinking, please tell me they got that because I know it's going to look so good. It was, yeah, it was Alice, really, one of the girls really, on set, said, here, you got to have a look at this photo. I took a shot of the monitor and I was like, oh my God, it looks amazing. I can't wait to see that. It'll just be like my new um, headshot. <laughs> and, then, and then I think it's later on in that same episode, there's a scene at the dinner table, which is like, I think it's one of the best written dinner table scenes where you're kind of caught off the hop because you find out that the godparents of your kids are going to pay for oh, the yeah, of your that kids. Was, that took a whole day to film that scene. I'm not surprised because it's a long scene because like yeah. that's, that is enough of a kind of a turning point for it to be bloody awkward at that dinner table. Yeah. But then there's another kind of a bombshell that drops because of uh, Adrian Dunbar's character kind of dropping in what he saw of the, the kids doing, yeah. possibly doing drugs. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, it's so well It took the whole day and I, and I decided not to go easy on the grub because it was like all spuds and all. It was like a roast just on the go all day. And I was going, I was going to totally film. I said, take your own advice, take your own advice. <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> Stop eating. Carbs, carbs, uh, fucking hell. But I did, so I stuck to the broccoli for the day. Ah, uh, I tell you. Oh, oh no. man, you're oh, no. like carnage. You can't do that like all day long on the broccoli, so yeah. I had a scene in something one time where we were just literally, we had bowls of gruel put in front of us. Oh no. And I didn't have that many scene, lines in the scene, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to kind of actually eat it. And they, you like, idiot. They, they had to keep on coming around and refilling the bowl of gruel, and I'm like, oh, I've done it for the first take now. I was half going to keep on, keep on eating the spoons of gruel at the various points that I was eating it. And cause Rookie my mistake. Yeah, no, my girlfriend that sounds grueling. So it was, it was <laughs> grueling. But like, the whoever it was who was on props was coming around kind of looking at me going, you're actually eating this stuff? And I was like, I have to eat it now because I started fucking oh, I know it's the worst it's the worst okay um, thank you very much thank you. really appreciate your time no problem uh, continued success we could literally chat all day and uh, the engineers are staring in and us going uh, someone else wants Should to come in up. yeah uh, but um, thank you very much continued success thank you very much Paul cheers mate Good thanks Sean coming. cheers thanks, um, guys if you'd like to support the podcast head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI uh, coming up uh, this month towards the end of October we've two free classes that we're running with uh, Screen Skills Ireland one is with Stephen Cleary Stephen Cleary is former head of development at British Screen and he'll be uh, uh, giving a class uh, a series of classes on package development don't miss out on that and our very own get emails about those all the time actually do you know what they're great value because they're free and uh, also we have our very own Paul Webster giving a documentary series of classes um, towards the end of the month as well in an introduction to documentary so don't miss out on that <laughs>